Turn with me, please, to Colossians chapter 2. We will, we will read beginning at verse 6 and read through verse 15, but uh, the bulk of our message will be taken from verses 13 and 14. In Colossians chapter 2 and beginning our reading here at verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality, and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And the verses that will be our prime consideration this evening. And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them, in it there is no blessing in this world that could begin to compare with the blessedness of the conscious reality of the forgiveness of sin of cleansing from all sin it's a greater good to our souls than anything we could experience in this world below if you've been made to hear the gospel of the Son of God. And I can proclaim that gospel, but I can't give hearing ears. I can't give receptive hearts. That's the work of God's wondrous grace. But if that's so with you, then you've been made to hear what the eardrum cannot convey to the brain. You've been made to see what all the lights of nature combined could never illuminate to your soul. You've been made to understand and love what colors, music, poetry, or worldly charms could never compare with. As a matter of fact, you're the most blessed person in this world. The psalmist in Psalm 32 wrote, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. To begin with, if that is a reality with you, you're not the same person you were. You're not the same as you were when you were born into this world, into sin. And you have a different relationship, a radically different relationship to the world in which you were born out of which, by God's grace, you were called. 
And that's because you have a different and a knowledgeable relationship to the true and living God. You have a radically different relationship to sin, to that loathsome thing that became by God's grace and the convincing work of his Holy Spirit the heaviest burden you ever carried until its weight felt so heavily was removed by the lifting of your sight to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Son of God, and the place you belong, dying the death you deserved, with outstretched arms calling you to trust Him and to come to Him while turning your back upon your former life and upon sin. Born a child of nature and a child of wrath, God has in Christ, in union with Him, made you a child of grace. That's a wondrous work of God. And when this wondrous forgiveness of all sins is genuinely known, when it's embraced by living faith that lays hold of the living Christ and sees what he did to save you from your sins, your soul-destroying sins, a love of sin before, but now a hatred of sin. The love of sin was replaced by a supreme love to him who died for your sins who loved you and gave himself for you, who bore all the wrath of God against your sins and gave himself not only for you, but to you. Did not you who sometimes thereafter heard and received the truth that this salvation was God's purpose from eternity, was his grace purposed before the world began. God's grace without your contribution, without works required on your part to be accepted with him, learning that this grace was sovereign and free, did you not rejoice with the joy unspeakable and full of glory? I can remember when God made known his wondrous sovereign grace to me that my salvation was not accomplished by my free will, that it was not accomplished by any work that I could ever have done, but by his grace alone, and a grace that was purposed, and a grace that was bestowed, not one that I had earned. What a joyful time that was. It was like being saved all over again. It was like hearing the gospel again for the first time and the wondrousness of God's grace made known. Every other blessing we receive, every eternal benefit of this so great salvation begins with complete forgiveness of all sins, big sins, small sins, inward sins, outward sins, sins known and sins unknown. The psalmist spoke of sins more than the hairs of mine head. 
if you've been snatched from the grasp of Satan and brought into the loving arms of the Savior, there's one reason that you now belong to Christ and no longer to this world. As the apostle wrote in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Sin is horrendous. Sin is the great separator between God and man. Sin is that which exposes man to eternal wrath. And so I'd be hard-pressed to think of truth that would be more blessed than that to which we look this evening in these verses. So may God refresh the hearts of all of his saved ones, hearing again glad tidings of great joy. And may he be pleased to give hearing ears and seeing eyes to those who have never beheld spiritually the wondrousness of redeeming love, forgiving love, cleansing love, and give a sight of soul beyond natural hearing and natural sight. The one who is in Christ, the one whom God has done a work for them in his Son, and done a work in them by his Spirit. They have passed from death unto life, from spiritual death, to eternal life. In verse 13 of Colossians 2, the apostle writes, And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, that means made alive, together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Well, what does it mean to be dead in sins? We know about death. We're confronted with it all the time. We're confronted with it every day. We're confronted with it every turn we make. We're confronted with it now in war that's in the world. We know about the death of the body. That's very real, very real and very difficult to consider. We dread the death of loved ones. We dread the process of going through death. In Christ, we should not fear death itself. But dead in sin is not particularly here referring to the death of the body. Even though death is working in the body, the body that still has sin in it, and it eventually will take its victim. And surely, there's a worse death than the death of the body. There's a far worse death than the death of the body. There's a far worse death than the death we see and are confronted with in this world every day. There's a death that is eternal, not annihilation, but an eternal separation from God himself. Fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul, but rather 
Fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, as we learn in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. There is a proper fear of God. We fear difficulties. We fear catastrophes. We hear of horrendous things that can come on this world. Yet the fear of God is to trump it all. The body is but the organism of the soul. Your spiritual being. The body is the house in which you dwell. It's the outlet by which eyes, tongue, hands, feet carry out the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's that which in its operation displays what we are. but what we are inwardly. It's not a death to human sympathy or even moral consciousness or intellectual achievements or even religion. Yea, many who ignore religion, who claim not to believe the word of God or not to believe in Christ, many who do not profess to know him, sometimes show more care than those who profess to believe themselves righteous. Self-righteous. Can have more morality or even more congenial than those who are righteous in their own eyes. The Lord Jesus reproved in the highest sense that which he often pointed out as Hypocrisy, hypocrites, those who weren't what they professed, those who did not live what they claimed to believe. The Apostle Paul warns of that. He says they profess that they know God, but in works, what they do, they deny him. Religion, Religion without a true saving relationship to Christ, without a real and radical conversion from sin to the Savior, professed but not possessed, is the most heart-hardening thing there is. The most difficult person in experience to reach with the gospel of Christ is the one who thinks they're already righteous, they're already saved, they're okay. Though they do not live unto Christ, though they have no desire to walk with him and walk in the will of God, but walk in their own ways, yet are convinced that they're saved, maybe because of some profession of faith they've made in time past. Maybe because of some church aisle they've walked and shaked some preacher's hand or said some prescribed prayer. That's all they wanted. And yet it leaves one but self-deceived. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Spiritual death is death in sin that loathsome thing which God hates. But we who are in Christ at one time loved 
and now those who are in Christ come to hate it. Not a single one of us, none of us, have escaped its ravages. We were born into this world sinners. We were born into this world with the fallen nature of Adam. We were born into this world haters. We were born into this world contentious beings. We were born into this world as sinners. And we proved it with a multitude of transgressions, whether or not we even recognized them. Because sin is so deadening that it can control one and they have no idea it's doing so. No consciousness of it. This death in sin not only separated us from God, it deadened us. It deadened us to any real consciousness of its nature. We didn't dread it and hate it. We loved it. We would have drank more into it had the opportunities have been there. We were unconscious of its awful nature and left us charmed by the desire for things unlawful, things unclean. Because we didn't feel its awful filth. We didn't even realize, as the scriptures teach us, that the mind and conscience is defiled. We were dead in sins. Unregenerate. Really, that's the meaning of uncircumcision here. Unclean. well expressed in the Ephesian epistle in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 11 and 12 where in time past you walked according to the course of this world now that's Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2 or 3 Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 11 and 12 Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. What a description that is. Having no hope. And without God in the world. In the fourth chapter of Ephesians. Verses 17 18. As the apostle exhorts. He writes this I say therefore and testify in the Lord. That ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. In the vanity of their mind, emptiness, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, alienated from the life of God, having no hope 
without Christ. What a horrendous condition to be in. And yet that's the condition we were in before we came to know God's grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Freedom from sin. Freedom from its awful guilt. Freedom from its power to control us only comes as we are united to Christ and united to him in his death and resurrection. So again in verse 13 of Colossians 2, And you being dead in sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. This freedom, this freedom cannot come by our self-effort. Sin cannot be removed because our conscience condemns us and we determine to do better. Sometimes that does take place. Oftentimes you read in the testimonies of God's people throughout history that when God comes by work of His Holy Spirit and He begins that work in one, and he convinces them of sin. And they begin to see something of the horrendous nature of what it has caused in their relationship to God and what it exposes them to. The natural thing is to want to do better. Sometimes that takes place until one comes to find out it will overpower them again and again and again. They don't have the capacity by nature to overcome it. Its guilt remains. Its power will always soon again overcome until one is brought genuinely to Christ and his cross. The old nature in Scripture is called the old man. It cannot be remade. It cannot be bettered. It cannot be changed from bad to good. But there must come a new nature. In Scripture, that's called the new man. Different in nature, it produces a changed life indeed. But it's all by the grace of God. The whole relationship to sin is changed because the barrier between God and us has been removed. The distance that sin brought between God and us has been bridged. And we're made new in Christ when truly forgiven of all trespasses. What a wondrous thing. What a glorious thing to be forgiven and cleansed from sin more glorious than anything in this world, more blessed than anything we could acquire or attain in this world. When brought by living faith into vital union with the Lord Jesus Christ, you're brought into union with his death and resurrection to die with him, to be raised to newness of life in him, all in relationship to him, all in union with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. This is when all changes. 
when the life in the world in sin is put away. And there's a new life in relationship to Christ alone. Just like Paul could say in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is when the power of sin is broken. It was Lord over us. It took us captive. We were under its control. But now, Christ takes possession of us. He becomes our only Lord. He becomes the Lord of those who are saved. He is the one to whom we yield ourselves and yield in obedience. Who we want to know. Christ is not the Savior to those to whom he is not his Lord or their Lord. It has been rightly said. It's a good statement. You cannot use him as Savior and refuse him as Lord. We're given the resurrection life of Christ because of what he has done by his death on our behalf, having forgiven you all trespasses, all of them. We owed a great debt. We owed the greatest debt possible. We owed a greater debt than any debt we could incur in this world. But we go from a debt we could not pay to a complete release from it. Verse 14 of Colossians 2 is big, huge, blessed. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. To be forgiven of all sin, no matter how big or small, those known to our shame and those unknown. Because we walked in many sins we didn't even know about or unconscious of. And the only reason... For it, that secures the absolute certainty in it, this forgiveness of all sin, lifts the weight of its guilt, and it floods the soul of the believer with a debt of gratitude and a debt of love. Christ became so united to us that he, though sinless in himself, never having committed a single sin, not in thought, word, or deed. The Holy One, he is called in Scripture. Himself owing absolutely nothing to the justice of God, perfectly fulfilling the law, not only in the sense of prophetically 
being its consummate end. But every moral responsibility, all that the law commanded, he kept perfectly. So that he owed nothing to divine justice and could transfer then our sins unto himself. He was the lamb without blemish and without spot. As Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.24, who gave himself for our sins. That's a different verse I quoted, but it's there. To his own self, bear our sins in his own body on the tree. He paid the full price that we owed to the justice of God. And that price was so huge, we had nothing by which we could pay it. Nothing whatsoever by which we could release ourselves from the debt, the huge debt of sin that we owed. And so the Lord took that debt unto himself. He took the whole debt that we owed to the justice of God. He suffered and died as our acceptable substitute and in so doing removed our obligation for righteousness by the law which the law demanded of us. He perfectly fulfilled it, kept it in every jot and tittle and then took our sins as our substitute before the justice of God and paid the awful debt we owed to God's justice. He fulfilled every obligation the law required, took our sins unto himself, and did more. He then gave us his righteousness. What a gift. He gave us himself. In Jeremiah 23, 6, he is called Jehovah, our righteousness. He is the Lord, our righteousness. He brings us to the wondrous realization as we're brought to look to him and trust only in him. And our smitten hearts behold the cross of our blessed Savior as the glorious realization that we have been cleansed. And to realize that this righteous one has given us his righteousness, that God the Father has put to our account the righteousness of his Son, that it becomes ours. He paid our debt of sin. He gives us his righteousness. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, him who is our righteousness, him who is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And God accounts us whom he has called by the gospel. He accounts us righteous. We who were born in sin, we who loved it, we who would have gone far, Deeper into it had the opportunity been there. 
We who are capable of the most horrendous sins imaginable, only by restraint kept from them. Men are so vicious and vile that were restraints removed, they would be capable of murder, thievery, adultery, all kinds of ugly things. When one comes to realize that, that is a hard thing initially to bear in conviction until we're brought to realize Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried that he rose again from the dead the third day he is our savior he alone is our lord God accounts us whom he's called by that gospel as righteous in him not because we could ever meet the lawful demands of God we could not and he calls us, and without any works whatsoever we could ever produce to be accepted by him. He calls us and gives us the wondrous faith that looks only to Christ, that trusts in him alone, that looks to him as our sin bearer, that looks to him who is the eternal son of the living God, him who is Lord indeed. That's our acceptable substitute in the sight of God. And we trust him. We trust him only. We look away from ourselves. We look away from anything we could ever do of ourselves. And we trust only Christ crucified. For we're only accepted in him, in the beloved How blessed the hymn writers express this joyful news of the gospel like Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. It's a wondrous thing to get to the cross and the burden of sin. It's gone. Freedom from its penalty has come. And through the work of God's grace and by the work of his Holy Spirit, a new heart has been given. A new direction comes. A new life is lived in relationship to the living God. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we would see this taking place rather than simply external religion? Wouldn't it be glorious if God did such a work in the hearts of men that it would manifest itself in their truly being given up to the one who died for them and rose again? I don't know what time period we're in. I don't know when the judgment of God will fall, but it will. It will. 
if we think of the departures from God and his right ways and his truth and every vile thing in our day that's being promoted, you wonder how long unless God does a real work of his grace, an awakening work by the work of his spirit in this nation, you wonder how long it can stand. And that's heartbreaking. But those who know the living God, they feel this. There's something in the air. That's awfully solemn. And slackness comes in those who profess to believe the Son of God to be forgiven and cleansed of sin. Judgment is coming. And most aren't ready. When men can plan and scheme all the things in this world and how they're going to live in it and what they're going to do, but make not the greatest plans for eternity something's wrong something's wrong oh that God would make these truths known and save what a vain thought for some to think that by any work anything whatsoever they do religiously morally thinking they keep the golden rule or they do something to help those who are in need or they give to good causes but think that by this God will accept them that to put oneself under obligation to keep every precept every law God has ever given for righteousness And by nature no man has kept the first commandment which is summed up in thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. No one but the one God sent into this world from eternity, his own eternal son, ever fully kept that. Men like to pick and choose what they want to keep. And a few things they do, they become self-righteous. And to keep the whole law and yet and break one point of it is sin. Oh, dear saint, you're who are given up to Christ by faith and by faith alone, you who now belong to him, he would have you know that not only has he forgiven you of all your sins, none accepted. We think of big sins sometimes and little sins. We're plagued with the remembrance of sins sometimes. But God puts them away by the death of the cross. Not only so. He canceled the document that spelled the awful indictment against us. What a verse. Verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. Took it out of the way. Nailing it to his cross. The debt was fully paid by him. The law 
whether written on stones, the handwriting that was against us, or on the conscience, can never call for payment again. Listen carefully. No more could it call for payment twice than a great debt that you owed from a loan. Someone who cared for you and had the capacity to do so came and paid that debt. The bank couldn't call for it to be paid twice. It's paid. The debt is canceled. It's over. The same justice that called for the payment to be made in the first place prevents it from being required again. But even further, not only is the debt blotted out, the document has been canceled. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to it, and took it out of the way. Nailing it to his cross. As another aptly stated it, God annulled the law when his son satisfied its demands of perfect obedience, bore its curse, and fulfilled its shadows, its types and ceremonies. It was nailed to the cross with Jesus. It died when he died. And because of the substitutionary nature of Christ's sacrifice, Believers are no longer under the law, but under grace. Well, does this mean the believer is not obligated to obey God in Christ? No, not at all. You see, under grace, God gives a new heart. And this new heart is a heart of obedience. It's a new heart of love to the Lord. And yes, we have moral law under the new covenant. And we're indebted to Christ, our Lord, alone. A debt we could never pay to Him. But a love debt, a love debt, a heart that is to be so full of love to the Lord, who saves us by His wondrous grace alone, that it brings a yieldedness to him and expresses itself in the keeping of his word. The Lord Je Jesus says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. We are brought out from under the law as obligated to it for righteousness, and we are brought unto Christ as Lord as our Lord of all, who paid the debt, the full debt that we owed, and brings us to himself, and shows us the wondrousness of a love that redeemed us from all sin, and out from under the curse of the law, to bring us to himself. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord. He is our Lord. He is our sovereign. He is the one to whom we look. 
and in loving him, believing him, obeying him. That's obedience to God from a new heart. We belong to him. He paid the full debt. We belong to our Lord. Our debt is completely canceled in Christ. Isn't that a wonderful verse? A wonderful passage. May God bless it to your heart and to those who hear in truth. We do want to pray for those who are suffering in Ukraine at present. Matthew, if you'd come and be ready when I tell you to stop this live stream, we'll, we'll give out the prayer request first. And we have brethren there. We have those who know the Lord in Ukraine. And they have the blessing we preached about tonight, whether or not they're victims of this horrific war that's taking place against them. We live in a very dangerous time. I think more so than people realize. It's only God's hand that can hold back far, far worse things. And we don't know when it's coming, but one day his judgment is going to fall. And to release men from the restraints that are there. And I don't know why it is, but I say it, and I say it with all honesty. I believe that the Lord has given us the weakest leadership this nation has known. Why? I don't know. I know we need to get serious with him. I know those who profess to know him should get serious with him. Instead of being taken away with this world and its ways and its pleasures, one day that's going to come crashing down very suddenly. God help us. We have those we pray for constantly. Bob has been in severe pain. I learned today that it was better this morning, and sometimes he can use medications or things that help for a little while, and then uh, it'll ease up, and then it seems at times to get worse. Grace Baptist Church in Milton, Pennsylvania is looking for a pastor. Having lost theirs, the Lord took him home. Our dear brother David King, we need to pray that God would be pleased to supply for them a man of God. That's a very serious thing to look for a pastor. And sometimes churches they will want to have a pastor like they had. <laughs> and, and God gives differing gifts to his men. 
and there are none of them that are exactly alike. And sometimes that can be a problem. So, but may God be pleased to grant mercy in their search for a pastor and guide them. We have children lost that need to be prayed for, children, grandchildren, and our congregation that need to be constantly prayed for. I don't need to bring up all the names, but only God can save. Do we have other special prayer requests? pray for their salvation we need a salvation of public schools pray for okay Pray for Jonathan. He's had a rough time. We're going to stop the live stream, then we'll pray here. Those who have these requests can pray privately or, or in their families. And you can go ahead. Kenneth, if you'll pray, we'll join with you in our hearts.
Amen. I hope those who uh, tuned to live stream didn't get discouraged and think it didn't work by looking on it for six seconds. <laughs> so, anyway, important message, isn't it? I thought we were on FIAS, but we actually have DSL, and that might be why the thing is, is every once in a while we'll stop and a glitch. We just don't have the power that I thought we had on it. And uh, so we may have to look around, see if we can find something or with a, a cable system, something that would be faster. And uh, maybe talk to the deacons about that, let them do it. See if they can find something. <laughs> That's... Uh, that's of course if anybody watches it I guess they, they could tell Amy did you watch and see last week what it did just so I'm clear <laughs> but with the voice coming across okay oh, yeah. did it stop anywhere or yeah well, I mean on Sunday morning when there's you know you and Daniel are singing it, it can be a little I think a little close to the mic I'm thinking about we just do the message for Sunday morning on the live stream because you can't hear the congregation good yeah I try to stand out of the way over there. Anyway, let's let's sing Jesus paid it all. What number is that? Six ninety. I'm glad you're here, Jordan, tonight with us. Well, good. We're glad. Well, I say my workday shifted. In all actuality, my girlfriend got a new job, and since I only have so much time left, I switched around my workday so we could have more time together at RATC at after school and such. Oh, you're you're in the officer training? Yeah, um, I'm a chief in the program. I'm the athletics and orienteering chief. This is my last year. Yeah. left 
a crimson stain He washed it white as snow For nothing good have I Whereby thy grace to claim I'll wash my garments white In the blood of Calvary's Lamb Jesus paid it all all to him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain He washed it white as snow And when before the throne I stand in him complete Jesus died my soul to save My lips Shall still repeat Jesus paid it all All to him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain He washed it white as snow Well go home and have a good rest Put your head down onto the pillow And trust the Lord to keep you and even in a dangerous world, he's Lord of all. In him is peace.